This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. I keep thinking about the Psalms, and in particular, Psalm 11.3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Isn't that a great verse? Uh, And the broader context of that verse is, In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrow on the string to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And right after that, it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. His eyes are watching closely. They examine the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. His soul hates the lover of violence. On the wicked, he will rain down fiery coals and sulfur. A scorching wind will be their portion, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. And of course, the context here goes back to Habakkuk chapter one, and you can cross-reference that. But here's the bottom line. When we as Christians have lost our foundation, we've lost everything. The Bible talks about Jesus Christ as the foundation, in fact, as the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone, right? He's the cornerstone. He's the most important part of the foundation. Jesus himself talked about the man who built his house upon the sand and the man who built his house upon the rock. And you'll remember this, that those who build their houses upon the sand, when the winds come raging in and the storm pounds down and the, and the wind is just kicking up and the rain is just pouring into the windows and everything, you're going to be built on the sand? Uh, not a good idea because you're house will collapse. Why? Because the foundation is not firm. And that is contrasted with the man who builds his house upon the rock. And I always listen to that particular parable of the Lord's. And I thought to myself, this is something I've always thought every time I've heard this particular parable. And I thought, you know, it doesn't talk about the differences in the structure of the house. That is the material that was used to build each individual house. The point is the foundation. The point is the foundation. So often we look to ourselves for our own strength and our own resolve and our own this and our own that. It's all about Jesus Christ. And if you are built on a solid foundation of biblical truth and you truly are born again by the Spirit of God and you truly belong to the Lord Jesus, you are on the rock and no matter what this life deals out to you, you will be okay. That's the message that I think a lot of us need to hear right now. But I'll tell you what, when I came across the latest reveal on the biweekly updates on Dr. George Barna's American Worldview survey, I thought, I don't know. All this time, I have been very, very concerned about the state of the evangelical church, and this isn't helping me at all. This isn't giving me any more confidence. It's worse than you think. 
it's worse than you think. Let me give you a little bit of an update here. I have interviewed Dr. Barna on several occasions about his American Worldview Inventory 2020. This is a national research project that's been undertaken by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. It, it really does reveal a lot about the state of the United States pertaining to Christianity. And the way Dr. Barna has put it is American Christianity is undergoing a post-Christian reformation with the nation's major Christian groups rapidly replacing traditional theological beliefs with the culture's secular values. Listen to this. Evangelicals are embracing secularism. A majority, a majority of evangelicals reject absolute moral truth. 52% of evangelicals now reject absolute moral truth. 61% do not read the Bible on a daily basis. 75% believe that people are basically good. And the study found that one third to one half of evangelicals in the survey embrace a variety of beliefs and behaviors counter to biblical teaching and longstanding evangelical beliefs, which is to say, what the Bible teaches. How in the world can you call yourself a Christian and believe that people are basically good? How much is your church really instructing you in the Bible? Well, I I have been over the years to many different churches through travels and doing events and just moving and living in different cities and so forth. And, and I have to say, it is a rare church indeed that actually teaches you the scriptures. You might have a sermon where the pastor digs into the text a little bit and does a good job, or you might have a good Sunday school teacher and have a really great discussion in your Sunday school class about a particular passage of scripture or book of the Bible, and that's awesome. But I have to say that if these numbers are correct, that means the majority of evangelical churches are failing miserably to teach what the Bible actually says. And we are getting our values and we are getting our beliefs from the culture. And it's hilarious in an ironic way because you have so many people within evangelicalism saying, we need to reach the culture. With what? What are you reaching the culture with if you are inculcating all of the views and the beliefs of the culture? You have nothing to say to it. You you are worthy to be stamped on, right? If you're not salt and light, just be tossed out. Isn't that what Jesus talked about? This is, this is absolutely incredible. Carrying on with this, all these changes that Dr. Barna talks about have contributed to the development of a new moral code among those associated with evangelical churches. For instance, a majority do not consider breaking the law through actions such as speeding to be sin. Half of them do not consider sexual relations between unmarried couples to be sinful. Half. A large minority, 40%, do not view lying as sinful behavior. Well, folks, do you think we could maybe talk about the Ten Commandments in church now and then and go through each of the Ten Commandments? Have you ever had a series like that in your church? You should. The centrality of obedience to the scriptures is absent among most of the nation's adults associated with evangelical churches. A majority, 53%, now deem practices other than consistent obedience to God to reflect the heart of success in life. Can you imagine this? And while some of the ideas gaining traction in evangelical congregations may not reflect a majority perspective, the fact that one third to one half of those adults embrace these ideas can only be viewed as alarming for evangelicalism. Let me name some of them. 
48% believe a person who is good enough or does enough good works can earn eternal salvation. 44% claim the Bible is ambiguous in its teaching about abortion. Are you what part of thou shalt not kill is is escaping you? This is not something that's vague. 43% maintain that when Jesus was on the earth he sinned. How do you have a savior who sinned? 43% do not believe there's a common God-given purpose to humanity, such as loving and serving him. 42% seek moral guidance primarily from sources other than the Bible. How about this one? 36% prefer socialism to capitalism. 36%. And I'll bet it's growing because you look at the younger generations of millennials and generation z in the church and we see what they believe this is a lost generation several generations boy i i think you could even make a case to say the church itself is lost if you are having majority a majority of people in evangelicalism rejecting biblical christianity we're in an emergency situation a real emergency situation How do you turn this around? Man cannot turn it around. That's the point. We can't turn it around. If you are a member of a local church and you are a pastor in particular, you can have a good hand in helping to turn it around by being faithful to the Lord and preaching his word faithfully to your congregation and not avoiding talking about the important things. You should be preaching against communism right now. You should be and explaining why biblical Christianity is antithetical to communism. You should be talking about the scourge of so-called gay marriage and how that's an abomination to God. Homosexuality, homosexual behavior is an abomination to God. That's what the Bible says. Nobody wants to talk about these things. We might offend somebody in the culture. You know what we're really doing when we don't want to offend somebody in the culture? We're not loving them. We don't want them to hear the truth and be saved and come to Jesus Christ. And more than that, it's a disobedience to God. And how can we call ourselves Christians if we are inventing our own religion? And that's really where we are as a culture in evangelicalism. And we better pray for our churches and we better double down on being faithful to the word of God, reading it, studying it, proclaiming it, and refusing to move off that solid foundation, lest it be destroyed for us. We're going to come back. Lots to come on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. If you could provide God's word to a Bible-less believer elsewhere in the world, would you? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send that Bible today. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those in great need, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere is found lacking, we're encouraged to help provide it. These believers live where churches are small and remote, where authorities aren't welcoming of Christianity, and where Bibles are scarce. As Pastor Carlo in Peru says, they need the hope found only in God's word. Everyone wants to read the Bible. But what happens, there are a few copies here in the area. Many of them will uh, be sharing the single Bible. For only $5, believers around the world will receive Bibles and be discipled in their new faith. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. 
As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We have told you before about that outrageous and disgusting Netflix film called Cuties, which sexually exploits little girls in a way that has shocked and appalled even a lot of secular Americans. And after an unsatisfactory response from Netflix to the controversy, Senator Mike Lee of Utah this week renewed his call to pull Cuties. And he's just one of 30 members of Congress who have spoken out against this film. But the Parents Television Council is now taking the fight even further. They have urged Congress to convene hearings on the entertainment industry's troubling trend of sexualizing children in its programming, and they have asked President Trump to direct Attorney General Barr to open an investigation into Netflix over its pattern of repeatedly and grotesquely sexualizing children for entertainment. So we're going to talk about it more now with Tim Winter, President of the Parents Television Council. So good to have you with us. Tim, how are you? I'm well, Janet. Good day to you and your listeners from Hollywood. It's always a, a pleasure to be speaking to you uh, across the nation. Absolutely. Great to have you here. You and I, I know, have talked before about how bad this film Cuties really is. It was kind of encouraging, I thought, to see how many people canceled their Netflix subscriptions over that. Did that surprise you at all? Uh, it was very heartening, to say the least. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm going to do something about this, and then they just don't. This is something that I think really connected with, with people across the nation, across partisan, uh, the partisan divide. A lot of folks really upset about the, uh, the sexualization of children. You'd think that of any issue in this country, we could all agree that the sexual exploitation of children is bad. Yes, you would think so. Now, Netflix's vice president of global public policy has claimed cuties, quote, does not glamorize or promote the sexualization or exploitation of children, just the opposite. It's a pretty broad claim considering how everybody else seems to be viewing cuties. I mean, what do you say to that, that Netflix is just, no, 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 this this does the opposite of glamorizing the sexual exploitation of children. I mean, we've seen the ads, we've seen the cuts. What are they thinking here? Yeah, they, they um, there are a couple things that are really troubling about um, about their dismissal of basically the world's concern about this film. Um, one is that they they seem to be arrogantly dismissive of um, the fact that they they by virtue of of sexualizing the children during the making of the film and and in the depictions of the characters of the film that they're somehow doing something that benefits mankind. Um, We have said from day one that we would agree with them. We would agree with Netflix that the sexualization, sexual exploitation of children, especially through social media, is something that should be roundly condemned. But where we criticize them is that you don't sexually exploit these little girls to make that point.
point. The second thing that really troubles us is that, he, again, the arrogance of Netflix, they, they, they arrogantly dismiss any naysayers as someone, oh, you didn't even see the movie, you just watched the, the, the one little dance move, so, so you, don't even, you don't have the moral ground to stand on uh, to criticize. Well, the Parents Television Council, we watch things thoroughly, completely before we really levy our criticism. We watched that film. And, and sadly, the, the sexually exploitative dance scene is just one of many things that is grotesquely sexualizing. The, the scene where the little girl pulls down her pants and her underwear and takes a picture and posts that picture on the internet. And then when she's ridiculed in school, she takes a pen or a pencil and stabs one of her classmates. I mean, the, 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 the other depictions, the other descriptions, the other dialogue, the, the amount of profanity, there is so much wrong with this, with this film that is supposed to be a coming-of-age uh, film for, for children, and yet children, by the rating of the show, MA, mature audiences only, aren't even supposed to watch it. Who is supposed to watch this? Yeah. It's, it's sickening. It is sickening. And the ad campaign was the first shot that they fired at everybody. People were coming out. I know people who were secularists were even saying, this is just plain to predators. This is plain to pedophiles. And that's something you've pointed out in calling for the attorney general to get involved because we've seen some of these busts of these child trafficking rings. I mean, shouldn't we be, you know, in unity about all of this, that we don't want to do anything that would play to predators or anybody who would harm or exploit a child? I mean, you, you, I will, I wish, I'll just take what you just said and say it right back to you. Everything you said is so specifically precise and, and, and spot on. Um, you know, we're, the, the content that Netflix, some of the content that Netflix produces, I mean, some of it's very good, but there's, there's, this is just one of several examples of programming that we would suggest that folks like Jeffrey Epstein might be behind Ugh. in terms of the production of it. Um, uh, animated, animated car, you know, cartoons that show genitalia of 13-year-old children, um, nine-year-old girls in, engaged in, in a sexual activity. Uh, it's, you scratch your head and you think, Netflix must have lost their mind when they, when they are doing so much of this. One is, you know, uh, unfortunate. Two, maybe is a coincidence. But three, four, five times shows not just a pattern, but a corporate practice of, by Netflix of sexually exploiting children and women, by the way, mm-hmm. for the sake of entertainment. Well, how prolific is this kind of inappropriate content on Netflix? I, I don't have a subscription to Netflix, so I, d- I wouldn't know. But you've mentioned several different programs. Would you say this really is a definitive pattern that Netflix has had? Unmistakably so. Um, the Netflix original series called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And remember, uh, Sabrina, the teenage witch, was based on the Archie's cartoon character yes. franchise. Yeah. Uh, featured an orgy scene with, with scantily clad teenagers. Um, uh, the movie Desire, we talked about, with the, the, it's a nine or ten year old girl um, who is engaged in a, in a well, I don't even want to talk about it because of your, I don't want to offend your listeners, but I'll just leave it at that. Um, the, the, the film Baby is about 16-year-old prostitutes in Europe, and it, 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 it romanticizes prostitution of, of, of children. Um, Sex Education uh, is a, film, a, a TV show with uh, graphic sex, graphic dialogue, nudity, the, the likes of which we would expect to see only in a triple X-rated movie. Mm. Um, Big Mouth is a, the cartoon that I was just talking about with you know, 11-year-old girl talking to her 
private parts, uh, 12-year-old boys engaged in, 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 in conduct that, again, you scratch your head and you think, who, it, who would come up with such a, a material for the sake of entertainment. Yeah. So you, this is not just a one-off thing with cuties. Cuties is just the latest. I think cuties kind of really touched, it hit, it struck the nerve of the nation and not just the na- nation around the world. It's, what's ironic is that cuties is banned from Netflix in certain countries around the world. Hmm. They, Netflix has pulled it off of other countries' platforms where they operate because of the prohibitions against uh, certain content. But yet here in America, they're keeping it on, they're defiant, and they're proclaiming it to be, uh, well, this is art- artistic freedom, artistic creativity. Good grief. Well, what can the government do? I know that you're calling on the president to get the attorney general involved and, and you know convene some hearings and, and look into this. What can the government specifically do to deal with not only the film cuties, but also all this other lurid content that Netflix is doing that, that sexualizes children. Well, you have, you have um, the president not, not too long ago banning uh, or, or threatening to ban TikTok yeah. um, because of its national security concerns. Um, I don't know that this rises to the same national security level, but it does. It may very well rise to um, a cr- criminal criminal conduct, if if in fact the the girls in the production of this film were being sexually exploited. If in fact some of the other content uh, is does qualify as child pornography, um, then their you know criminal criminal statutes uh, have have been violated. So. Um, I think it's important for for the government to take a look to see if, in fact, laws have been broken. One of the things that that is, I think, so disgusting, the the creators of Cuties have defended the sexually exploitative scenes, saying, well, we had counselors on the set to help the girls. We had counselors. My my response is that if you had counselors... That means you knew you were doing them harm. Exactly. You knew that you, that's why you, the only reason you have counselors yeah. is because you know you're doing harm, and and therefore you have to have someone there to uh, to try to to, to uh, you know bring down that harm. It's really deplorable, and it is. Um, and we can't allow this to stand. No, and either uh, Senator Lee also had talked about the possibility of criminal exploitation of minors being part of what they could you know clamp down on cuties and Netflix over, and and they should you know you you think about all these reports. We had this Me Too movement over the last several years, but also people coming forward. You know, you think of Corey Feldman and some of these other people who've come forward and said there is a predator problem in Hollywood. To what extent may that be part of the equation here? Well, I've heard Mr. Feldman and others suggest um, uh, the pedophilia problem in Hollywood. I have heard for some time uh, conversation about it. I have no direct firsthand evidence of it. But there's an awful lot of smoke. I haven't seen the fire, but there's an awful lot of smoke about about that topic. Um, it's it. You know, thank heavens that that Harvey Weinstein and his ilk have been exposed for what they were doing to women in Hollywood. Um, but what's so ironic is while while Hollywood condemns the sexual exploitation and sexual predator, predation uh, of women, especially in the industry, every night we they ask us to be entertained by depictions of it. Um, the same thing goes holds true with the, the sexual exploitation of children. If we can all agree that 
sexually exploiting children is bad, why would we do it in order to make a point? Why would we exploit them in order to make the point that the exploitation is bad? I don't think you have to do that. I think Hollywood can tell a story in a powerful way, a positive way that gets people really engaged on a subject without actually doing the harm which they proclaim to be trying to uh, uh, to expose. Very good point. Well, you can find out more at parentstv.org. Check out the Parents Television Council. So grateful for your work, Tim. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jenna. God bless. God bless you as well. And I just want to remind you that we are trying to raise enough money for 100 families in Lebanon right now to receive emergency supplies and food and Christian education for their kids in these refugee camps where so many Muslims from Syria, refugees from the Syrian civil war have headed. There is an incredible explosion of interest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you can give $58, you'll be helping one family through the great ministry of Heart for Lebanon. Call now, 888-247-5499 or JanetMeffer.com. We'll be right back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. President Reagan once said the ultimate determinant in the struggle now going on for the world will not be bombs and rockets, but a test of wills and ideas, a trial of spiritual resolve, the values we hold, the beliefs we cherish, and the ideals to which we are dedicated. I think that few would argue that America is at a critical juncture right now. Will we continue to be the nation that was formed from the blueprint of the Bible and the Christian ideals of individual liberty with freedom of speech and freedom of religion? Or will we be a nation that continues down the path of postmodernism, secularism, sexual immorality, and worse, all on our way to the ultimate embrace of tyranny and socialism? It all depends on the Lord, of course. Will we return to him as a nation or will we turn our backs on him? Today, we're going to talk about it with Alan Jackson, senior pastor of World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He is the author of a new book, a collection of his sermons. It's called God Bless America Again, A Prophetic Perspective. So good to have you with us, Alan. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Janet. It's good to be with you today. Well, when you think about how much God has blessed America, what kinds of blessings come to your mind? Well, I think the liberties and freedoms that define our lives are impossible to imagine apart from God's goodness to us. I've had the privilege of traveling a bit around the world, and the things that we just assume are normal, that we typically talk about as rights, are, are not part of the reality of most of the people on the planet. God has blessed us. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And we take it for granted many times. We just act like, oh, well, America's a terrible country. We're hearing that all the time, the sins, the terrible things that America has done in the past. There's a lot of America bashing and not a lot of remembrance, it would seem, about how blessed our nation has been. That's true. In fact, I really regret to say that so much of the messaging that comes towards us now resembles propaganda more than it does an attempt to just give a perspective. Oh, yeah, that's right. Intentionally... 
uh, bury the truth and they promote things that are just false. You know, we celebrate other nations in the world as having these wonderful cultures, and there's certainly wonderful things about every people, group, and nation. But most nations have some pretty oppressive, if not tyrannical, aspects of their background, and we very we're reluctant to say that. And then we denigrate our own nation and bury our history and the sacrifices that have been made for us to have freedom and liberty and opportunity. And that's tragic when we're in the middle of a pandemic. It borders on criminal when we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. Yeah, it does. I, and when we're talking about the blessings that God has given to the United States, it really is true that we have been a very unique situation, a unique nation in the history of mankind. What would you point to? Because I know some of the younger generations, even of Christians coming up, are, are not hearing a lot about that when they go to public school or when they're out with their friends or when they're on the Internet. They're not hearing about the great blessings that God has given to the United States. And generally speaking, we talk about the freedoms that we have. But specifically, how would you explain maybe to a younger American why America is so unique because God has blessed it in a particular way, going all the way back to the, you know those Christians who came here looking for religious freedom? Absolutely. We just watched a couple of weeks ago with the congregation, um, Kirk Cameron's film, Monumental. Yes. And it began with an explanation or a reminder of the separatists. We, you know, we know them as pilgrims and we think of them as wearing shoes with buckles on them and eating turkey with the Native Americans. But they were a group of people fleeing some really intense persecution. They had lost their homes and their property had been confiscated over a a long period of time, not just a bad weekend. And they came to America, and the first winter they were here, half of them died, mostly the women. And they could have returned, and they chose to stay. I can't imagine the commitment it took. And the motivation for that wasn't economic prosperity. It was the privilege and the freedom of worshiping apart from the interference of a state church. And our nation was birthed out of that desire to honor the Lord. Uh, Our first universities were founded, our most celebrated universities, as training institutions for Christian leaders. They were clearly Christian schools. Our legal system and our educational system emerged out of a Judeo-Christian worldview. Those things enabled us to be a nation that had so much tolerance that we could be a nation of immigrants. We don't share a common ethnic background. We come from the nations of the world. What has bound us together was a worldview that came from that Judeo-Christian heritage. And it enabled us to be a tolerant place. It didn't mean everybody was a Christian, but it meant because we were overwhelmingly Christian, we tolerated people no matter what background they came from. Yes, right. And somehow the script has gotten flipped in recent years, partially because of the failure of the educational systems, partially because we have rewritten our history. And now we present Christianity as something that is intolerant. And that simply doesn't square with the facts. If you take a casual walk through Washington, D.C., in our most celebrated buildings, you'll see carved in the stone and the marble, verse after verse of Scripture after verse of Scripture. It is our heritage. We wouldn't, we wouldn't imagine saying to the Native Americans that your religious history and preferences is something of which you should be ashamed and you shouldn't talk about. And it is deeply offensive to me to have someone say that our heritage as a nation, our religious heritage, is inappropriate and shouldn't be talked about. How dare they say that? It's what has brought liberty and freedom to us and caused us to be the envy of the nations of the world. 
if we're such a systemically racist place and minorities have such a small opportunity, why are borders crowded with people that are trying to immigrate to our nation legally or illegally? Right, right. It's illogical. It is. And I'm tired of the propaganda, and it's time for the churches and the pastors to stand up. We have to pay attention to what's being taught in our schools. I earned a degree in history. I know a little bit about it. And our universities have to become places where the truth is told more than opinions and perspectives are forced down the hearts of students. Well said. Yeah, I agree with everything that you just said there. And yet we look around us and it seems like you say in your book, internal problems are greater than the external ones. I mean, we have enemies within. We have a very strong political movement and I would say a spiritual movement uh, within our own country that can't stand Christians, can't stand Christianity, shakes a fist in God's face. To what extent is that really affecting us as a nation? And is that the main thing that's ailing us right now is that we do have people who simply hate God and don't want any trace of him in the United States anymore. Well, it's certainly an unsettling uh, revelation of 2020. The hostility towards Christianity is no longer subtle. It's no longer veiled. You know, we have um, politicians at almost every level in our nation closing churches without apology while they open other institutions. But I don't think the re- the real challenge to me doesn't come from the people who have angst about Christianity. It's not the depravity of the wicked that's our problem. It's the indifference of the faithful. Yeah. The, the wickedness doesn't have the power to overcome the good if the good is healthy and vital and vibrant and alive. In fact, our, our challenge in Scripture says not to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. I don't think the church realizes that good is a more powerful force than evil. And when we see violence in our streets and hatred in our streets and riots in our streets, it's because the expression of good in our cities has diminished to the point that evil is able to be on display. We need the church to be awakened and for Christians to find their voice. We've been timid for too long. And so I'm not frightened by the expressions of hatred towards our faith. They hated Jesus. But yet through the ugly defeat of a cross, such a tremendous victory was won that it changed the course of human history. And we're the 21st century expression of the victory of the cross. The book of Acts doesn't have a formal conclusion because the story of the book of Acts isn't finished yet. We're just a contemporary edition. So I'm not, I don't have a lot of angst about the hatred. I say, yes, it's a concern and we need to be awakened and begin to respond to it and stop being so passive. But we have the authority in us. The creator of heaven and earth has given it to us. So I don't want Christians to wring their hands and shrink back in fear, but I do want them to find their voice and choose a more assertive response. We've got to pay attention to what's being taught in our schools now. We've got to get involved. We have to demand that the truth be told on a college campus, that everybody's opinion is welcome. We tolerance is one thing. Saying every idea is equal is absurd. Right. Some ideas are better than others, and we have to have the courage to say there have been some ideas that we have held that have made our nation a shining example in the world. And we will not back away from those ideas. And yes, they're centered in the person of Jesus. You don't have to choose him as Lord of your life. But I will not tolerate you diminishing him in the public square. I love it. Alan, hang on a moment. We've got to run to a break. God bless America. Again, the name of the book by Pastor Alan Jackson. We'll be right back after this. How much is one life worth? 
Most of us would say life is priceless, and we'd be right. After all, what is the value of someone created in the image of God? We're asking Janet Meffer Today listeners, just like you, to help us save babies through the ministry of preborn. How does preborn save babies? Through ultrasounds. Preborn works with hundreds of pro-life pregnancy centers across America, providing free ultrasounds for women in crisis pregnancies. And 80% of the time, when a mother sees her little baby on an ultrasound, she'll choose life. It's that easy. We need your help to support the vital work of preborn in saving human lives. For your gift of $28, you can provide a free ultrasound to a mom in a crisis pregnancy. And for a gift of $140, you can provide five ultrasounds to five mothers. All you have to do is call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for saving a baby's life. For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the south and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing emergency supplies. Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888 888- Two four seven fifty four ninety nine. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us, and great to have with us Pastor Alan Jackson. His book is God Bless America Again: A Prophetic Perspective, and this is a compilation of his sermons. And boy, this is just such an important theme that you're talking about, Alan, in what you're writing here, because this is something that I think is on the heart of every Christian. One of the things that you mention is the significance of the love of truth in this hour. And I was sharing earlier some statistics from George Barna. He's been doing this worldview survey, and this is really scary. And it goes back to what you say about the the real problem is among those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. But for example, it says that the the numbers having to do with people who believe in absolute truth, a majority of people who call themselves evangelicals now do not believe in absolute truth. 75% say that they believe people are basically good. There are other statistics related to that. For example, three quarters of uh, adults, as I mentioned, attending evangelical churches, 75% believe people are basically good. And then it also says uh, nearly two out of three evangelical church attenders, 62% say it's more important to have some type of faith, even if it's not the Christian faith, than to specifically align with the Christian faith. Now, what happens to the United States when the church can't even get Christian truth right? We're in a really dire situation when the church has lost its love of the truth. You're absolutely right. Now, in one level, I guess that we shouldn't be frightened. In Matthew 24 and Luke 21, they're parallel passages. Jesus talked about the end of this age, and the overriding characteristic was he said that there would be a falling away, there'd be deception. Yes. And, and deception starts in the church. It doesn't start in the midst of the ungodly. And what you're describing has been building for several decades. 
And but it, I think 2020 and COVID and the pandemic and all that's happened has really exposed the condition of the church. Yes. And while it's unsettling, maybe even frightening, perhaps frustrating, I choose to see it as a blessing. It's like an accurate diagnosis from a doctor. And rather than just continue to suffer with symptoms and diminished health, God in his love for us has exposed our circumstance, our heart condition. And if we will turn to him in humility and say, forgive us, forgive us, that we don't even love Jesus enough to acknowledge his uniqueness in the world any longer, Mm. that we'll capitulate on the lordship of Jesus at the altar of political correctness so we have the approval of our culture. God, forgive us. And it starts in the pulpits. It starts in the seminaries. It starts in our training. We have been overwhelmed with pride. We've had so much, so much affluence, so much freedom, so many opportunities that we haven't had to be dependent upon the Lord for our future and our family's well-being. And God in his great love for us has shaken us a bit this year and sent us home to be quiet and to be isolated. And I, I pray that we come out of this with a new awareness of Jesus of Nazareth and who he is, his uniqueness in our world, in our history, in our nation, and the message that's been entrusted to us. God didn't create this nation just so we could have larger homes than the rest of the world and our sports leagues would be the envy of other nations. Right. He created us to, be a, to have a message for the nations of the world. We've been embarrassed to say into other cultures that Jesus makes the difference. Mm. We've been told, I've been in the university settings, we've been told it's, it's inappropriate to have that arrogant attitude. Thinking that Jesus is unique is not arrogance. It's a declaration of the truth. And the church is the delivery system of the truth. Again, our problem isn't the, the wickedness of our nation. It's been the indifference of those of us that sit in the pews. Yes. But I believe God is awakening us. I, I see people coming forward with a hunger for the truth. I, I'm more hopeful today than any time I've been in recent years. That's great. That's great. Yeah, sometimes we have to be brought low in order to appreciate what we're in danger of losing. And you're right on the money about this. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that we are to be a peculiar people. And it strikes me that over the course of the last several decades, we have been much more fascinated with the world than we have been with eternity. I mean, we, oh yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. I believe in Jesus and I'm a Christian and I'm born again. But there doesn't seem to be a real hunger for God that has seized the church. Are you beginning to see when you say you see signs of awakening now and people really becoming hungry, are you seeing a growing hunger for God in certain pockets of, you know, your circle seeing Christians becoming more concerned than they have been in the past simply because God has put us in this direction with all the events of 2020? I do. We've been having services together since the first week of May. We started around the National Day of Prayer. Great. And I, I, week over week, we see there's momentum emerging, not in enormous numbers, not in tens of thousands of people, but every week we have people coming, driving significant distances. We have people presenting for baptism. We have messaging around the media that we do. I mean, there are hopeful signs. It, it's still in the sense, it's, I wouldn't call it a tidal wave, but there's a ripple on the, on the water surface. <laughs> so there are, I think there are reasons to be encouraged but I think it's, uh, I don't think we're finished yet, and it's going to take some determination on our part. You know, one of the challenges of this year is they told us we'd go home for two weeks, it would go away, and we'd be okay. Hmm. 
And now we're several months later, and we're still in the midst of this struggle. And there's a part of all of us that would just like to quit. Yep. And I, I share that. I'm tired of the hassle. And But the reality is that's not the – this isn't an athletic contest where we play nine, nine innings and then we go out and have dinner. <laughs> or we play four quarters and then we go enjoy the hot tub. This is a conflict, and we don't get to choose when we quit. We have to see this through. So those biblical admonitions about – perseverance and enduring are coming into play. And the only way we learn to persevere is by persevering. So I, again, I think God is training us. He's waking us up. It's an exciting time to be a Christ follower. Mm. And if, if you feel the, you know, the Lord bringing that conviction to you, don't be angry by it. Celebrate. It's the grace and goodness of God when we're awakened. Mm. It, it sure is. You know, and you think of all of the great prophets of the Old Testament, for example, you think of Elijah, or you think of Jeremiah or Isaiah, and those men who faithfully had to call out the sin of God's people and call them back to repentance. And sometimes it went better than other times. But what do you think our stance in this day needs to be when you're talking about a prophetic perspective and cutting through all of the nonsense and all of the indifference and the apathy that you mentioned and really coming down to the basics of repent and believe in Jesus Christ and obey the Lord and, and, you know, seek holiness, pursue holiness and righteousness as God would have us do. What kind of prophetic voice do we need right now as a church? I love your tone, Janet. You know, <laughs> prophecy to me, when I say a prophetic perspective, I don't mean so much of anticipating the future. Prophecy biblically, the prophets were people who delivered God's perspective. They spoke the truth into their culture. You know, the Spirit of God would give it application for seasons ahead, but the primary focus of their assignment was to speak God's perspective, His truth, into their current circumstance. And I think that's what we desperately need in evangelical Christianity. And I've spent my life there, so I'm not throwing stones at anyone else. Mm. We've almost adapted a culture. You know, now we're waiting on a corona vaccine. Mm. But we've almost adopted a culture where we had a a vaccine for Christianity. Mm. You recite the sinner's prayer. You get dipped in a pool. And then you live your life pretty much on your terms. And you ask God to help give you an advantage over those poor pagans that don't have a divine helper. And that's a perversion of the gospel. We, we are birthed into the kingdom of God that we might yield our lives as living sacrifices to be servants of the Most High God. And if you don't intend to serve Jesus as Lord, I don't want people to imagine that because they recited a prayer and got dipped in a pool, they're at peace with God. We don't earn our way to heaven. That's, that's nonsense. Yeah. It's a free gift. But our response to that free gift is to yield our lives to his lordship. Him being Lord means he establishes my priorities. He establishes my morality. I don't get to redefine it based on contemporary culture or popular sentiment or somebody with letters at the end of their names that are giving me permission beyond the scriptural worldview. If the Bible isn't the inspired word of God, if Jesus isn't the unique son of God, the incarnate son of God, he's not a good man. He's a liar and a deceiver. Yep. And the church needs, we need to be shaken a little bit. We've wanted the approval of the ungodly more than we've wanted the blessing of God. Mm. And so I'm excited about what's happening, but it's not always a comfortable message. And we have to have the courage to, in love and kindness, speak to one another from the word of God and from a, from a scriptural place. 
And I think we see that happening. I'm encouraged. Your program, your willingness to, to have this discussion is, is a tremendous expression of faith into this season. I believe we could see an awakening come to our nation again. I would love that. We have a history of multiple awakenings. God's done it time and again. This is not the first time we have lost our balance. Right. That's right. Right. Alan, your voice is so needed right now, and people can pick up your book called God Bless America Again, A Prophetic Perspective. Pastor Alan Jackson. Alan, thank you so much. Keep on keeping on for the Lord. It was wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Janet. I appreciate what you're doing. All right. You take care. God bless you, and we'll be praying for you as well. Such an important thing right now to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ in a radical way. Love it. Thank you for being with us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.